Hello, and welcome back to the TFA Scouted Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scully, and in this podcast, we take a look at players and coaches that we believe have very bright futures in the game. In the last episode, we looked at one of Colombia's brightest young talents, Oscar Cortez, who has been a shining light for Millonarios this season, and who was already set to make the jump to a top-five league, with an impending move to Champions League hopefuls long, reportedly waiting in the wings. Today, though, we'll be very happy to know that we're actually moving away from South America for the first time in quite a while, and will instead be focusing on a player that has almost become a symbol of a changing tactical landscape in European football right now. That player is Malmö FF's Hugo Larsson. If you've been keeping up with the trend of relationism or functional play, as it's also called, which is a topic that we have covered in depth on the TFA side as well as on the podcast, you'll know that Henrik Rydström is beginning a new wave of possession football in Sweden right now, taking inspiration from Fernando Denise's Fluminense to create an incredibly relationist style with the Swedish Giants as they vie for the Elsvenskan title this season. One of the players that has benefited the most from this newfound system has been Hugo Larsson. And so we're incredibly excited to chat about the 18-year-old prospect and his role in Malmö's functional tactics since Rydström took the reins. To scout this player in depth, I'll be joined by my co-host and TFA recruitment analyst, Brian Marquez, who has watched Larsson very closely over the past few weeks, as have I. Before we begin, though, please make sure to rate the podcast five stars, hopefully. It's greatly appreciated and it helps us to grow the podcast and to get more and more excellent guests on and to get more and more ears on the podcast, too. So now, without further ado, let's get into our analysis of the teenage midfielder by speaking to Brian. Brian, welcome back to the TFA Scouted Podcast. How have you been? Hello, Adam. Well, I've been very busy, very fine. Uh, I'm really excited about the player we're going to talk about today because it has been like a firing topic mm-hmm. <laughs> lately on social media. Well, speaking of that, as I mentioned in the introduction, you obviously have this new wave of, I don't want to say it's a new wave of football tactics or a style of play. I mean, it's not a rehashed version of it either. It's more of like an evolved version of Brazilian flary kind of football, if that makes sense. And I know I'm not quite doing it justice, but it's kind of like a throwback. I think Kyo always references Tete Santana's Brazil in the 80s, especially in 1982, yeah. when they, they ended up not winning the World Cup, but they were probably the most fun side to watch. And they were incredible with the you know the players like Socrates, etc. But he always references that Tete Santana Brazilian side because he believes that, that that relationism or functional play, as, as a lot of people call it now, is kind of a throwback to that, but in a modern setting, in a way that suits the modern style of you know of playing football and the demands of the modern game. And it was always, especially in the last year, it's kind of been solely linked to Fernando Diniz of Luminange, which... Yeah, and we've seen a couple of Brazilian sides as well. I believe Caio always tells me about Grêmio too in 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 Brazil, and the way they play is very very relationist. And it, but it was always kind of centered around Brazilian football, if that makes sense. And then in the World Cup, we saw a little bit of it kind of shone through with Argentina, maybe to a lesser extent, yeah. but it was still a bit relationist or or functional. But now we're seeing, and and as well, like Napoli and Real Madrid show tinges of it as well. But now we're seeing the forced properly relationist side in Europe, which is Malmö FF with under under Henrik Rydström. 
And when you see tweets about Malmo, because if you're on that side of Twitter, they're they're everywhere. I mean, we've published a piece on on Malmo FF on on the TFA site, of course. Clio published his own piece as well on his own uh, personal blog. But a name you can't help but see when you see Malmo is Hugo Larson. And you came to me uh, only yesterday, I think. Yeah, it was yesterday. <laughs> shows the, the 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 lack of not the lack of preparation, but it shows how quickly the turnaround for this podcast was. <laughs> um, you came to me with a, a couple of names, and I saw Larson, and I thought, brilliant. I said because I want to watch him because I actually hadn't watched Malmo yet, and I wanted to watch them, and I wanted to watch Hugo Larson because there's massive, there's just massive praise for him at the minute, especially on Twitter. And then I was shocked yeah. to find out he was 18. And then when you watch him, he yet, is not built like an 18-year-old. Talk to me <laughs> about your first impressions on Larson then, because they were my first impressions when I forced When I watched him, I hadn't actually seen his age yet, so I watched him first. And then I saw that he had turned 18 last summer, so he was going 19 this summer. And I thought, oh, my God. You know, um, when you play on a relationist side, and I have like watched these several times this season um, with Fluminense and mm-hmm. I don't know, Real Madrid, Napoli and all that, all those teams, Hamburger even at times. Yeah. Um, you know, you need this kind of distributor on your team that understands where he has to be off and on the ball to like organize the tempo of the possessions and all those kind of things. Normally at Fluminense is Pep Ganso, which he which has mm. been amazing with Danish. At Real Madrid, you know, you have Cross, you have Modric and Napoli you have Rodrigo Robotica. as well, because I think Kyo actually <laughs> called Rodrigo. Yeah. yeah, he called Rodrigo, Rodrigo the symbol well. for relationism yeah. is what Kyo said. And you know, to play as a distributor in in every style, you know, at positional play mm-hmm. or um, relationist, relationism, sorry, or functional play, as you want to, to call it, is really difficult. It's one of the difficult, the harder tasks you could ever see in, yeah. in football. Um, you can be a distributor playing as a winger, as a striker, as, you know, because the roles just call you that. And then you watch Hugo Larson with 18 years old it's unbelievable how good he can be on the pitch mm-hmm. uh, when he's off the ball. First of all, I, I want to talk off the ball because he's so intelligent to cover spaces, you yeah. know, to so like um, move from side to side as a defensive midfielder or as a center midfielder. He can play on both both roles. Yeah. Um, he usually of... sorry to interrupt Ryan but he usually yeah. I just I just want to offer some context to the listeners he usually plays in a double pivot with Sergio Pena as well the Brazilian yeah. player so but but I, I I am aware as well and I'm 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 very aware when we do this podcast that a relationist style is is solely or primarily built around creating relations on the pitch with players so there's a lot of freedom of movement and players kind of all in I'd say kind of interchange positions, et cetera, to create different relations around the pitch. Whereas 
if I just say solely he's a central midfielder, it doesn't mean he's going to sit in the middle of the park. He's, it's it's quite a fluid, very fluid system, I should say. Yeah. So when I say he's a central midfielder or he can kind of play as a 6-2, but when we say he's in a double pivot, it's just a reference point for the position he plays because like even when when you look at Weisko, Weisko has Malmö FF's formations down as 4-3-1 and 3-4-3. That's what they used this season under Rydström. But it doesn't really ever look like that, ever. On the pitch, yeah, maybe maybe obviously. out of possession if you're lucky, but definitely not in possession. So I just we solely use the positions as a reference point as opposed to his actual like restricted position on the pitch. Yeah, obviously he's not restricted, you know, in this system, and uh, it's a very fluid double pivot. He's getting into the base of the play. Well, the base of the play for me in in functional play is everywhere. You know, mm-hmm. normally at, at positional sides, the base of the play is at, um, you know, between defenders and midfielders and all yeah. that. And on the relationist side of the of football is is ma- mainly everywhere because players just get so close to trying to evade the press and then progress mm-hmm. um, in a, a vertical way, maybe playing one or two touches on the ball. And Larson off the ball, in that way, is really, really intelligent. When um, we're talking about in possession, we're not talking defensively. Um, off the ball, he's so dynamic to go from one side to another um, to bring a passing lane for centre backs as a lone midfielder, and then to the fullback. Uh, it's crazy how, with his age, he knows where he has to be. You know, and mm. this is a chaotic. Maybe a style for an 18-year-old, which I think he has been used in his youth career to play on a more positional um, style. Yeah. You know, to playing on a double pivot or playing on a, a, as a lone six or playing as an eight and all that. And then to use those principles and as an 18-year-old right now at Mamo, you know, it, it, it's not playing at um, in a, in in. in you know, in a, a, a team that doesn't have this pressure and all that, mm-hmm. he's playing at Malmo, and Malmo is one of the biggest teams at Sweden, and they want to, you know, to get into the battle again because they have been uh, leaving some some years of, you know, they haven't been the biggest side at Sweden at least last year. It wasn't like that, and they want to refresh mm-hmm. all this. And Ugo Larsson shows to be a player to create a project around him, but it's so difficult when he's so young and so intelligent. And mm. obviously teams in Europe are watching him so close. Well, apparently Borussia Dortmund have already... Well, not, I, I don't want to say they've, they've came in from what they've, they're interested in him at least, or at least that's what some newspapers are saying, some media outlets are saying that Borussia Dortmund are interested in him. And I can see that because Borussia Dortmund have a wonderful scouting network, obviously. And I would imagine... They're going to lose. I think they're losing Dahoud in the summer and they'll probably lose Jude Bellingham maybe to Real Madrid. So they're already looking to kind of bring yeah. in this new wave of, of their midfield. And, and I'm sure Hugo Larson is a player that's on the shortlist. Whether he's up the high end or the low end of their shortlist, we don't know, of course. It's just it's just paper talk at the moment. Let's talk about his physical build for a moment, Brian, because as I said to you, I was shocked to find out he was 18 when you see yeah. how big... Now, to be fair, like I was that big when I was that age but <laughs> I was very wide at that age too so it's not as if I, I wasn't a, I wasn't a professional athlete he's 
I think he's six three, leaning on six four. I want to say, and he has yeah, you know, he's, he's, he's very very tall. Yeah, and he's stocky enough. He's not stocky, but he's not. I didn't find him to be too lean to the point where he looks well, like he's gonna his you know one kick to the legs and they'd snap. What I was really not surprised about, but one thing I did love about his game was his ability to receive the ball under serious pressure. And I think it's such a tough position to play as the six, and arguably it might be the toughest position in football, or or maybe you want to say that's a goalkeeper, I don't know. But the number six position in a possession-based team is so, so difficult because when you're receiving behind the opposition's first line of pressure, people don't realise how little time you really, really have in that position to receive. So when you, so say the centre-half, centre-back, sorry, slips the ball in between the, the opposition's two centre-forwards while they're in, a, say, a mid-block. And maybe the opposition are playing in a 5-3-2. And they have that kind of, that chain of five players. So you have the two centre-forwards and the three protecting that space. And as soon as the ball's played into it, the center, one centre-forward will drop and press from behind them. One of the midfielders, say, will step up. You have like a second to react. And his ability, and Kyle mentioned this to me uh, and again, as I said, Kyle wrote me a list of notes for things to look out for when I was researching them. And it very helpful. Kyle was a wonderful analyst, obviously, and he's watched Mama close. But one of the things he said was his ability to take in information is so, so impressive. Yeah. And when we think about the ability to take in information, you think of players like Sergio Busquets, who... Exactly. You know, there's yeah. that famous quote, which I, I cited on the podcast, actually, with Kyle last week. And I said that it's a quote from Vincenzo del Bosque where he says when you watch the or it's something I'm paraphrasing yeah. again it's like when you watch Busquets you see the whole game you know what I mean it's like his ability yeah, to take yeah. in information he sees everything even when he has his back turned to most of the players and Hugo Larson while I'm not comparing him to Busquets has a wonderful ability to take in information before he receives so he scans a lot he understands how to position his body in the perfect way to receive he understands where the pressure from behind is coming from he understands how little time he has where the next pass will be you know that's a wonderful attribute for such a young player. It, it's so wonderful to see a young player with that um, ability, you know, because he 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 scans every time before receiving the ball and he knows his next step on the ball. Like yeah. he knows where the ball is going to be in the next action because he he's so focused and concentrated and he watches his surroundings and the best passing lanes and the best options and the capacity to, you know, take information of what is happening on the pitch Mm -hmm. at that age, you like your decision-making and your uh, uh, mentally agility. It's not the greatest. It's something to work on. And obviously the tactical interpretation is something you get, uh, between the years to have this at his age and about his physicality to retain the press you know he seems um to be lean but not that much mm-hmm. and then you you see how he uses his body and especially his lower body to retain the ball uh, open like the arms and he's so intelligent and one of the things i point out from his the, the, the best things he has in in his game is his body postures. You know, when he's going to receive the ball, he always uh, tries to receive the ball with a open position. 
yeah. in, in order to guide, you know, the, the passes where he wants, because this obviously connects to the fact that he scans and he uh, gets information before getting the ball. Mm-hmm. And when he, he, before he gets the ball, he automatically opens his body where he wants the ball to get in and he plays with one or two touches to the ball. He receives and then makes the pass and that is really, really good. That is a really good skill to have. Um, even more if you're a six, you know, because as you said, um, you have like one second to 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 make something. Oh. And in this modern age of football where every team's want to press and it's like the majority of teams focus their press on marking and blocking the six it's a really effective thing to have like body postures body turns and all that and then we're only talking about the off the ball movements and how he receives the ball but then we have his passing range that is really uh, technically is so clean as well can I ask you about, I, I don't tend to like doing this, but so I, I always say I do on this podcast to offer the listeners a visual representation of what the player, of, of, of a player that the, that the player we're discussing is similar to in order to give them a reference point if they've never seen, say, Hugo Larson. There was so much similarity when I watched Larson. I know you, you might think I'm crazy. He reminded me so much of like a young Paul Pogba. No, genuinely, and I know, I know, I know. You think I'm going to be crazy saying that because maybe defensive. I, I, and I mean in possession, his ability to switch the play constantly, the types of passes he goes for, the way he receives under pressure. He's like a spider when someone's pressing him from behind, and his, yeah. obviously the the size is is a huge giveaway for it too. And now there's obviously a lot of differences in their game as well but there was so much I looked at him saying he reminds me so much of Paul Pogba and I watched Paul Pogba so closely when he was a young kid coming through Manchester United's academy and watching Hugo Larson was like a little throwback and again as I said I'm not fully comparing him to Paul Pogba there's a lot of differences in their game but there was just so much similarity between him and Pogba that I was like I was I, I was a bit um I don't know I quite enjoyed it I, he's the type of player I love you know, as I said, there's, there's the way he receives the ball. He holds off pressure. He's so big to, you know, w- when somebody presses him from behind, he can hold them off. But he always manages to kind of hook his leg and get away from the pressure. And the way he receives the ball is great. So, yeah, I love that. I thought that was just a little yeah. note I wanted to make on the podcast. And obviously, you can disagree with that. That's fine. The listeners might think I'm an idiot. But it's just what I saw in a lot of his game. I thought there was a lot of similarity with now Juventus no, player Paul Pogba. You know- I can find the connection, obviously, because of his press retention and yeah. how how quick he switches the play and all that. Uh, one of the things I think he cannot be similar to Pogba in, in a way is his long distribution, maybe, because yeah. he wants to play the ball on the ground and trying to mm-hmm. uh, find the teammate to receive with his foot. And Pogba has had this ability since a young age to pick the ball and create these through passes to space and switch the play with with long long balls and all that. And in that way, I I can find a difference between them. But obviously, they have Mm. some difference like I, I think Pogba physically was bigger and yeah, and I agree. he used he used more his uh, physicality mm-hmm. that, rather than technique 
which I think is um, Larson uses both in, in in the same way. Maybe he is like a 50-50 using technique and physicality, but I I, I do find the the similarities it, even more when you see him um, retaining the ball, like yeah. the receiving and, and turning, and it's like a spider, really, like. Yeah how he knows who he has behind and then he turns and it's all the big that. long legs and, as well yeah and his <laughs> big long legs and all that and then when he you know when he gets higher on the pitch he can be brave to make this through passes and can we, break can the we, can we go in depth on that actually because this is a part of this yep. is a point I've written down that I want to discuss Kyo spoke to me about Hugo Larson having a lack of verticality and I've seen a few people say that there was a lack of verticality in his game. But Kyo also made the point, and I tend to agree with, okay, yeah, he doesn't have a lot of verticality in his game. He doesn't try and hit balls over the top or in behind, and I get that. And as well, I suppose that's where we see another difference to Pogba as well, where Pogba was a very vertical player, I found, playing those balls in behind. Jukul Larson, not so much. But Kyo made the point, and as I said, I tend to agree with this more so than the previous point. I think it's more so to do with the system he plays in. Because relationism isn't built on, it's not really yeah. b- built on vertical play and runs in yeah, behind yeah. and balls in behind. It's more built on connections around the pitch and players linking up well to break down a block. Whereas obviously a more vertical team will, you know, you'll like you'll have a, a centre forward or a winger running in behind, making a diagonal run, for example, and then Hugo Larson hits it over to him. He doesn't really do that. The most verticality you'd see is those long, beautifully weighted, by the way, switches of play. But what do you make about that? That that point about his verticality or, or lack of yeah I think I think it's an interesting point which I can agree because um, and even more in inside his role at Malmo you know mm-hmm. he he's like the axis of possessions yeah. and uh, to the build-ups and all that and uh, well there a Real Madrid shows us that inside their relationist um, style the attack is mainly on getting Vinicius in behind and using these threatening players like Benzema, Rodrigo and Vinicius to get into attack. Mm-hmm. And other players are focused mainly on, um, you know, like building up and evading press. And it, it could be an interesting point. I, I Obviously, he's 18 and he, he, this is his first full season. And... He needs to obviously keep growing in that terms. And I really will want him to see, I really will want to see him in a different system, maybe, um, with capacity to think more. And, uh, you know, I don't mean a positional side, but maybe a direct style that could create him into a more vertical player. Yeah. But, at the time, he's because he clearly so has. But the reason I say that I believe it's more so to do with the system is because when you see those switches of play, I believe he has the capabilities to do it. I believe he has the capabilities to sit a little bit deeper as maybe a deep line playmaker. Although I don't, I don't really like labeling roles as, as yeah. that. But I believe he has that passing range to be able to be that player who can sit a little deeper and hit those balls over the top to runners when the defensive line is kind of positioned high. So that's why I, I do believe it's more so to do with the actual style of play at Malmo. So I think in a different system, which was maybe a little bit more vertical or, you know, relied on those balls over top for his in- instance, like um, Manchester United, of course, while 
it may may not be the finished product this season. They have been quite vertical on the Ten Hag, especially when we look at games against Liverpool at Old Trafford, Arsenal at Old Trafford, where Liverpool Arsenal will play a high line and Rashford was constantly that threat in behind because, well, United aren't a finished product. We the the, the club that the team can play exactly the way that Eric Ten Hag wants them to. So they've had to be a little bit more transitional. And Malmo aren't really a transitional side. So yeah, but you know, I know I've gone off on a bit of a tangent there, but I do believe that he has the capability to play in a bit more of a vertical side, a bit more of a transitional side. Yeah, I I, I really think he has the the capacity to 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 play on on a transitional side, but I think uh we have to keep watching him in this full season. Mm-hmm. We have to see in which form Malmo ends up this season if they are going to still play in a relationism style and all that because you know thousands of things can happen in football of course yeah and it could be so so interesting like to find the thing is he's 18 and last matches is going to be 17 or 16 mm-hmm. but you know in other contexts you know in, in youth sides or in the youth Sweden side or something like that um, to like just find him in other system to see if this point is the real one about the system that maybe not restrict him but just give him another idea and role of in possession yeah. um, you know we, we haven't talked about this but um, out of possession I think he like defending, you know. Yeah. Um, I think he needs to be better on his technique when he's going to tackle. I agree. That's actually something I I wrote down as well when I watched him. I think out of possession is probably where the most work needs to be done. But I, you know what? I, sometimes I expect that from such a young player. I think quite yeah. often we do these podcasts and we talk about it a lot, and they are weaknesses, of course, but they're. I, I think I prefer to label them as areas to improve as opposed to weaknesses because, again, he's 18 and at that age you want to develop yeah, your, obviously. your your actual technical skills in possession, I think, is first and foremost, and then your defensive skills. It obviously depends on the position you want to be. A, if you're a center central defender, you want to have some sort of defensive nose about you. But, I mean, when you're a player like Larson in the center of midfield, I think not perfecting, but it massively working on your technical skills is much more important than out of possessions. But, it is certainly an area to improve because you're right. I think there's a, there's there's a tendency to have a bit of of it's it's not it's not easy to get around them, but I think there's there's clear deficiencies in this defensive game. Yeah, I mean, like these players of low center of gravity can take advantage of you know his long legs, and he doesn't get on time to to the tackle and all that. But beside that, out of possession, he's a player capable of press high, um, brave to go into aerial duels. He's very tall and he's key for his team defensive set pieces and all that. And I think he, he possess a good positioning, especially when they arm like uh, the block in a more compact way, you know? Yeah. Um, in those areas, in those facets, he, he he's positive in that way, obviously with some things to improve. But I think the the thing, the, the thing he has to improve the most is that tackling technique and timing to stretch his leg and try to get the ball because he's normally generating fouls and or mm-hmm. even not generating fouls but stretching the leg and the 
opponent just pass pass him and he's creating a lot of space because of that tackle of that yeah missing that tackle and it's something he, he he has to improve mainly if he plays in a double pivot as a six or as an even more if he if he developed to play as as a six yeah and even on that though you kind of mentioned it earlier and I want to go back to I want to go back to it because we didn't actually cover it we, apart from a little mention you made, we didn't actually cover properly. While he does play in deeper areas and he can play as probably play as a six, but he usually plays as a in a double six with Sergio Pena this season at Malmo. He can be really effective in the final third, especially at sitting outside the box and treading those little true passes. He has a great ability of breaking down a low block, and it's quite impressive because, as we said, he. When I think of Larson, I think of him as a bit of a deeper midfielder. Whereas, but he he can probably play. I don't want to say anywhere in midfield. I can't really see him as a number ten, but certainly maybe an advanced eight. Can you see yeah. him being an advanced eight in the future? In a say four three three playing on the right yeah, side, or maybe the right side. Maybe because of what we said about him in the start of the podcast of how he detects small pockets of space yeah. and how good he's receiving because he he's awareness of what he has around yeah. to receive is really good and when you're an advanced aide you need that you need to appear behind the line of midfielders or in pockets of space they leave uh, on their sides and all that and that, you know maybe he could evolve into that and it, it's really good to to have players that are versatile to to play as a six naturally I see him as a six as a deeper player to get in, in the build up and all that but as an advanced aid if we can see him as we were talking about in a, a position or direct style where he needs to break blocks down and be a little bit more vertical it's a good thing uh, you, you know it's a good thing to have firstly the detection of spaces and the intelligence to um, cover them to, mm -hmm. to to move from one side to another trying to get into that minimum space he thinks the ball is going on and he receives there and he has created I know it's only eight games into the Elsvenskan season but he has created eight chances or sorry no uh, 13 chances this season in those eight games and he is playing in a deeper role so I don't know as I said, he probably will be a deeper player throughout his career, especially when he matures. But I I would like to see him in more advanced positions a lot more of the time because I think he also has the ability to be a player who can unlock a low block. He's not just a... He's not like a Roger or a Busquets. He's not that type of player, and I don't think he'll ever be that type of player. He is yeah. more of a deeper player. But I think, yeah, he has the ability to break down defensive blocks, which is always a wonderful asset for... The, any youngster to have, especially 18, and he has a wonderful skill set to be able to do it. We will wrap up the podcast there, though, Bryant. Just before we do, though, just for a kind of a, a closing statement on your behalf, what do you think is his ceiling? Do you think he can play in... Well, I, I believe anyway he can play in a top-five league, but how... I mean, a top-five league could be Southampton or Man City. Like, what kind of... <laughs> like what kind of uh, end yeah. of scale do you think he can reach? I think he's going to last one or two more years in Sweden. You I'd know, say I'd think, say one. Yeah, maybe one because already big teams in Europe yeah. are looking at him. And 
when you see this kind of players and you know people are talking so much about him you know that his next step is going to be a big european club mm-hmm. maybe he's not going to get some that much minutes but i i i think that rumor of Borussia Dortmund is I'm really fine with it. Like I, I really think it's it could be a positive step for him, but you can't see him at the moment. If he continues that form, and obviously he's going to make people talk so much, mm-hmm. um, he's going to to attract pure interest from big clubs. And I don't mean like only Manchester United or City or something like that, but I mean like clubs like. Um, Dortmund, Bayer Leverkusen, um, even I don't know teams are league on. Or be Leipzig. Yeah, RB Leipzig, Olympique Lyon, and all that. That mm-hmm. league on recently has been signing so much players from the Osvaldskan, and they obviously are watching Larson and some big teams like that, Marseille. Or you know, the next step for me is not Bayern Munich, uh, Liverpool, or you know, yeah, this, I agree, this kind I of teams. But teams like they're always fighting for Champions League or Europa League, you know. Mm-hmm. They have really good players, they have really good managers, really good ideas, and they fight for the top four every season. Yeah. So it, it's going to be really interesting. And I I see him as well at Wolfsburg to yeah. I think it's a really, really good club. Like their system, their idea with Kovac and um, their double pivot and all that it's uh, it's really a team that fit me for uh, that's, that's in my opinion fits Larson but you know he, I, for me he's going to stay one more year at Sweden we have mm-hmm. to see Kovac steals at Wolfsburg and all that well they're doing quite well at the moment I believe they're six so he, yeah. he probably will be there at the start of next season at least but Brian anyway thank you I actually just want to say before we wrap the podcast as well it seems to be a general consensus that Sweden have been lacking in that position too so I think there's a real potential for Hugo Larsson to make his international debut in the very near future because that position is for the country has been lacking in real quality according to people who would know the team much better than I would anyway Brian, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. To all the listeners at home, I hope you enjoy it as well. Make sure to tune in on Friday for another regular episode of the TFA podcast. Also, make sure to rate the podcast too and share it with your followers, friends, and family as it really helps us to grow. Thank you all for listening and goodbye for now.